Good morning. Today there are two scripture readings. The first is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He said, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I unless someone guides me? And then he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else. Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The next passage is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-21. through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent God's only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent the Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in God and God in us, because God has given us God's Spirit, and we have seen and do testify that God has sent his son. Starting again. By this we know that we abide in God and God in us, because God has given us God's Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that God has sent God's Son as the Savior of the world. 
God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this way, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as God is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because God first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we also have from God is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? I didn't understand what I was reading for a very long time. I went to the first grade twice, not because I failed, but because my parents chose for me to repeat the first grade. With a birthday in early October, I was very young in my first trip through the first grade and on the older side for my second go. We also moved in the middle of my first first grade experience, but it wasn't the move and it wasn't my age that caused my parents to have me repeat the first grade. It was reading. Well, it was not reading. I could not read. I could not speak clearly and I could not spell. I was extremely charming. In the 80s, we didn't know much about learning differences. I was not given any labels. There were no IEP meetings. I was pulled out of class for speech therapy. Look at my mouth, Laura. Banana. I did manage to learn to read, but I didn't have much fluency and I didn't have much comprehension. I loved stories and I remembered almost everything anyone read to me. But it wasn't until middle school, at the second middle school I attended because we had once again moved and I was starting over and meeting new people again. Anyway, at that second middle school, Camden Middle School, I took a Spanish class. Learning Spanish where the letters and the sounds matched made something in my brain click for the first time and I could read with ease, Spanish and English. And so I read and I read and I read. It wasn't until I was in college taking a class called Teaching Children with Exceptionalities that I had any idea that I might be dyslexic. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? I loved Hebrew immediately. Vowels are my biggest challenge in English, and Hebrew, original Hebrew, has no vowels. They were added in later, and they go underneath the main letters, and you don't need them. It's also backwards, at least as compared to English, and while I don't see anything backwards, I do struggle with letters like B and P and D. I mean, they all look the same, and they all sound kind of the same to me, too. 
So Hebrew is backwards, and the vowels aren't necessary, and I love it. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? According to the story, Philip is on foot, and the one reading a scroll of Hebrew, we must assume since it's Isaiah, is in a chariot, and yet they're able to have this conversation. Is Philip jogging along? Is the chariot going really slowly? Honestly, I hope that the chariot is going so slowly because I cannot imagine reading biblical Hebrew with no spaces between the words, no vowels, and printed likely on sheepskin or something similar. To read that while moving fast sounds impossible. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone guides me? And Philip is invited to get in and sit down. Guides are important. I'm grateful to my second first grade teacher who taught me to read. And I'm grateful for the speech therapist who taught me to speak. And I'm grateful for my first Spanish teacher who opened my eyes to the code, the logic, the structure of language. I'm grateful for most of my biblical guides. Certainly some have been more helpful than others. My dad was a guide. I'm grateful for his sermons about love and care. Grateful that hell almost never came up. Grateful that he listened to my arguments, my concerns, my challenges concerning the Bible. And while he certainly wished I would toe the line, he did not cast me or my questions aside. My Philip, or depending on how you read the story, my Ethiopian eunuch, was Marty Williams. Marty was at Oxford doing a term at the same time I was. She was in graduate school and I was still in college, but we were the only two Americans at Regents Park College and Oxford University at that time, and that created a bond of sorts. Marty was not a common nickname for Martha in England, and so everyone other than me called her Martha, and I expect one reason she liked to hang out with me was that I could say Marty. Marty and I often sat next to each other at the two computers for general use in the library. She would also regularly come down into the bowels of Regents Park College, where the premier collection of Baptist historical documents is housed in the Angus Library, and visit me. That's where I lived, practically, and pored over books written by Baptists in the 1600s. One time she was visiting me and we heard someone coming down the stairs. We thought it was our friend Allison and so we hid underneath some cubicle desks. It wasn't Allison. It was an Oxford Don that neither of us knew. He sat down and made himself comfortable and we had to decide if we were willing to wait him out or if we were going to emerge from underneath the desks and explain ourselves. After several long minutes, we came out from underneath the desks. Without much of a glance in our direction, the dawn intoned, Ah, you thought I was the beast of revelation coming down the stairs, and you hid yourselves accordingly. <laughs> we didn't argue with his assessment and instead removed ourselves from the room post-haste. For Marty's work, she was reading people like Friedrich Schleimacher, who was a German Reformed theologian, philosopher, and biblical scholar, 
He's known as the father of modern liberal theology. He's considered an early leader in liberal Christianity, and his work forms part of the foundation for the modern field of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is just the study of interpretation, and Schleimacher's case, the interpretation of the Bible. He was particularly interested in what he called the interpretive circle, meaning what we might understand about the author's intent, what we might understand about the author's original audience, and what the reader might bring to the table as well. Marty would read and write and periodically exclaim, I'm a heretic. She would exclaim, she would explain what she was reading and I would find that I too was a heretic and that there were words for the ideas I had long held, that there were entire theological concepts for people like me. Marty was also part of the Alliance of Baptists, and so I met in her a fellow questioner, heretic, and liberal Baptists. I didn't even know those existed until I met Marty. There were other guides for whom I am not grateful. Guides in the form of youth camp pastors, Sunday school teachers, friends, who suggested that what I was reading in the Bible meant that some people were sinners and that we should love the sinner and hate the sin, which in my experience always resulted in hating. There were guides, would-be guides, who said that what I was reading meant that LGBTQ plus people could only join a church if they were celibate, that women could not preach or teach Sunday school if a man was present that God cared more about things like what music I listened to than about issues of justice in the world. That people should not be unequally yoked. Have you ever heard that verse? I heard it a lot, always taken out of context and used to mean things like I couldn't date a black man or a non-Christian. I'm not grateful for these guides. The Bible has been used as a tool of exclusion and hate for too long. The Bible's been used against Jews, against people of color, against women, against gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans people. It has to stop. It's not okay. It's not simply a matter of fights over Facebook or Twitter. It's parents who've disowned their sons and daughters, their gender-fluid children. It's churches who have called their own an abomination. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. This one had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in a chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard the reading of the prophet Isaiah. And he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, unless someone guides me, was the reply. 
it might interest you to know that you likely have not understood some of the things that you've been reading in this story. While never named, the person in the chariot is described as an Ethiopian, as a eunuch, and as a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. The Greek word translated as Ethiopian here literally means burnt face, dark-skinned. This person was likely not from the area now known as Ethiopia, the area of Africa, now known as Ethiopia, but rather was black. And Candace isn't a name, it's a title. And what does it mean when one is described as a eunuch in the Bible? With this question, this question about what it means precisely to be a eunuch, we might pause and wonder if we need to know the particulars. It feels a little bit like asking a modern trans person about surgeries. We don't need to know what this person's body looked like. We do need to make it clear that despite what my Sunday school teachers told me, the title eunuch most likely means this person's body or identity are not gender conforming. This detail, the detail that this person is a eunuch, is here for a reason and repeated over and over again, just like the title Ethiopian. While prejudices of today didn't exist then, it is clear that Acts wants us to know this person is black-skinned and this person is a eunuch. Eunuchs did not fit conventional notions of gender in the Roman world. In the Roman world, they were simultaneously seen as men and non-men, neither male nor female. They were viewed as sexually impotent. They were seen as powerless and thus often scorned according to Roman constructions of masculinity and virality. And yet they often held positions of power, especially in the government of queen. This black, gender non-conforming person certainly seems to be powerful, in charge of the queen's treasury, literate, wealthy enough to have a scroll of Isaiah, and a chariot, or at least the use of a chariot. We know this pilgrim is traveling home from a trip to Jerusalem to worship. Because of scriptures like Deuteronomy 23.1 and Leviticus 21.16-23, some scholars assume that the eunuch would have been forbidden from full inclusion in the rituals of worship. But we don't know. We don't know what kind of welcome or exclusion this person faced in Jerusalem. All of the ambiguity of this character radiates and has an effect. From the perspective of the dominant Greco-Roman culture that Acts represents, this convert pushes boundaries in almost every direction. This black, gender-fluid human reminds us that the good news will not travel to the ends of the earth because of focus groups or strategic plans or demographic analysis. The good news will travel because individuals will gladly carry it there because they recognize that the good news is for them, exactly them that the good news is love ever-expanding. The good news acknowledges the worth and dignity of everyone, everyone. The good news topples the prejudices that religion and societies continue to build up. 
Some guides have tried to limit the good news, try to decide that it is good news for some and damning news for others. They underestimate the capacity of love. I wonder how much it is that Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch are guides for each other. Perhaps Philip does help the Ethiopian eunuch come to new understandings of Isaiah, and perhaps the Ethiopian eunuch helps Philip come to new understandings of who should be welcome. The eunuch does not question that the eunuch can be baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch doesn't ask, can I be baptized or will you baptize me? No. The question is, what is to prevent me from being baptized? What is to prevent love? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, because the welcome of the Spirit is wide. It encompasses all and every. This traveler simply sees water and on the Ethiopian eunuch's own does the reasoning. I can be baptized. Here is water. What is to prevent me from full inclusion, full participation, complete belonging? And so this black gender fluid fellow pilgrim stands prominent, not only as the Christian church's first convert, at least that we know of from Africa, but also as the church's first constructive theologian from that area. It's clear the Ethiopian eunuch has learned to read the Bible through a hermeneutic of love. When we listen to our guides who start with love, when love is the litmus test, we find that there are no limits to who can be included, no limits to God's love. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. My friends, do we understand what we are reading? God is love. Love is the starting place for understanding the Bible. If legislators try to push through anti-trans bills, anti-voting bills, anti-choice for women's bodies bills, permitless carry bills, all while some claim their reasons for doing so are based on the Bible, I want to suggest to you that they need a new guide. They do not understand what they are reading. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, meaning the entire Bible. Love. Love is the starting place for understanding the Bible. Do we understand what we are reading? Are we starting with love? Is love our guide? God is love. Let us love one another. Amen.